Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nuevo Healthcare Network, a place for discussing healthcare issues and solutions in New Mexico. For this episode, I spoke with Ben Claudier and Andrea Botero from UNM's Project ECHO. Ben is the Director of Communications, Marketing, and Outreach, and Andrea is the Deputy Director of the program. They shared their experiences as part of the Project ECHO team and talked about some of the exciting work that they are doing, both in New Mexico and abroad. I had a great time talking with them, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as well. Andrea, what is your role in Project ECHO? What is Project ECHO, and uh, how did you become involved in it? Uh, so uh, I am the deputy director for New Mexico programs, and I learned about ECHO when I was a clinic manager at a federally qualified health center um, some years back, uh, and we were doing the Hep C program with Project ECHO. Uh, and then consequently, I've always wanted to work here. Ever since then, I found the programming incredibly helpful for our community, and I finally had the opportunity to join the team. Uh, so Project ECHO is uh, really around democratizing knowledge. Uh, back in 2003, uh, Dr. Aurora was one of the very few Hep C providers in our state. And he saw that there were over 28,000 New Mexicans who had a hepatitis C diagnosis, but not treatment. So there were vast waiting lists. And as you know, New Mexico is incredibly rural. So a lot of our patients had to drive from very remote rural areas into Albuquerque to get treatment. And he had a patient who was a 43-year-old woman and had two small children. That because of transportation issues and the wait list, she wasn't able to come in the office in a timely manner. But by the time she came in, she had a tumor uh, that was untreatable. And sadly, she passed away. Because of that loss, not only for her children, but also for the care team, uh, Dr. Aurora really started thinking about ways where primary care providers, in particularly in rural settings, could provide hepatitis C treatment. Um, so he started going around and asking what would be the best way. And he really thought about utilizing how uh, medical people learn in medical school through a didactic presentation, and then also through um, case presentations so they could learn from each other to treat this very complex disease. Uh, things have gotten easier through the treatment, uh, but that really prompted to grow ECHO into other models. So diabetic care, you know, uh, maternal health, uh, rheumatology, dermatology. So it's really about a place where specialists are helping bolster the knowledge of our primary care teams on how to treat patients that don't have the resources or the time or are very far away. Uh, and that way uh, we can really take care of our New Mexicans and have better health outcomes. Thanks, that was a great explanation. And Ben, could you talk a little bit about how you got involved with Project ECHO and what your role is? Sure. Um, uh, I'm the director of communications and marketing at Project Echo, and I also learned about Project Echo while I was doing other work. I used to work um, for the state and um, through that work, heard about what Project Echo was doing and 
also, like Andrea, wanted to come work here. And so uh, some years later, I finally had the opportunity to join uh, about two years ago. And um, I helped both uh, in New Mexico, I helped with uh, raising awareness of ECHO and um, getting more people to, to join and to benefit from the programs. Um, and then globally, I helped lead our work to expand the use of ECHO around the world, you know, in low and middle income countries, especially um, Africa, India, Latin America, and Southeast Asia right now are our biggest growth areas. Great. And Andrea, you mentioned some of the origins of Project ECHO. And Ben, you just alluded to where it's gone since then. Could you talk a little bit more about what Project ECHO has accomplished both in New Mexico and internationally? Okay. Ben, if it's okay with you, I'll take over the New Mexico and then you can speak about our global work. Sure. Uh, um, thank you. So since 2003, we have trained over 11,000 healthcare providers in New Mexico. Uh, we have a real rural focus area. We have also uh, trained over 2,000 teachers because our ECHO has grown from just clinical to also bolstering the knowledge and networks of our teachers uh, and administrators. And we have, it have had an impact in over 100,000 New Mexicans, although I think that reach is much greater. <laughs> um, but uh, Ben, do you want to talk about our reach in the global Sure, sure. Yeah. And I would just add too to the New Mexico scene that I think, what, what do we have now? 32 programs just for New Mexico in, in healthcare, and I think seven or eight for education now. Um, and that's probably going to grow. So <laughs> Andrea is very busy. Um, and uh, globally now, um, Echo has grown massively, especially after the onset of COVID-19, when people really realized they needed uh, a way to disseminate expert knowledge really quickly about COVID-19. Um, and, you know, during that process, a lot of people learned, you know, oh, we could use this for a million other things. We can use it for HIV. We can use it for hepatitis C. We can use it for cancer. Um, and so that work has taken off. So now um, we have 812 partner hubs, um, other institutions we've trained to use the ECHO model. Uh, around the world. We have 33 super hubs, which are sites that are trained to um, train other people in the ECHO model. So they're trusted partners that we uh, have licensed to do that. And, you know, these encompass, you know, organizations from the World Health Organization, the CDC, most of the academic medical institutions in the United States, um, as well as government partners in places like India, Africa, Latin America, and beyond. Um, and now um, we have learners in 193 countries, and I think we're at 196 or 197, so we're pretty close to 100%. We're, we're working on that. Um, and like Andrea mentioned, we uh, ECHO has been adopted outside of hepatitis C, you know, to I think now over 50 disease areas um, and to things like education. And we're piloting ECHO for other sort of civic related uh, things like uh, engineering, civics, uh, journalism, and uh, famously, I think a little bit here in Albuquerque uh, for uh, crime and, and law enforcement, the uh, city has adopted ECHO to use it for Knob Hill and for, um, for downtown public safety. So there's a lot happening and um, it's really incredible to see the impact that we're having. Yeah, that definitely is incredible. It sounds like it might be New Mexico's greatest export. 
<laughs> you said it, not us. <laughs> yeah. Like and um, so it sounds like it's spread a lot. Are you also seeing improvements in these areas as well? So it's touching a lot of lives. A lot of people are connecting, but are we seeing education start to get a little bit better in these areas or, or healthcare metrics start to improve? Oh, definitely. I feel, especially being a clinic in the clinical setting for so long, I did see how ECHO is an important part of the uh, quality improvement efforts in system. Uh, our endocrinology ECHO really helps providers uh, with those uh, very complex diabetic patients that we can't get that A1C under control. And we've seen great success in that area. Um, in addition, I've seen a great success in the uh, perinatal health space uh, in implementing AIM safety bundles. Uh, not only does ECHO uh, produce didactics in helping providers, for example, one of the AIM safety bundles is maternal health for substance use disorder or women who have a diagnosis of substance use disorder. But we also go into those hospitals and provide technical assistance uh, with our collaborative partner, the New Mexico Perinatal Collaborative, to really implement through their EMR and through systems work, those AIMS bundles. And we, uh, with an aim of having healthier moms and healthier babies. Um, so those are two very poignant um, outcomes, but also in the teacher space, ECHO has shown to really promote this the sustainability of those rural teachers to stay in those jobs. So because they feel like they're being, it, sometimes our teachers not only have to build their curriculums and then provide the curriculums, but it provides a space for that collaborative building and collaborative learning. And I, I would just add too, um, you know, now uh, globally, Project ECHO has been uh, published 455 times, I think, in peer-reviewed journals. Um, and, you know, there was a seminal article back in 2011 that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine that showed in that original hepatitis C clinic that when um, compared to one of the providers who was trained and mentored out, say, like in Carlsbad or Gallup, um, comparing that to Dr. Aurora here at the UNM, um, that they were actually getting the same, if not better outcomes for their patients um, in those hepatitis C treatments. So, and that's been extrapolated now across a few different areas. We've seen really significant data from our diabetes echo in New Mexico and others around the world. Um, and I think too, significantly the, the, to me, the thing that speaks volumes, I, I love what Andrea said, but also, um, you know, I think people vote with their feet. And, um, when we see organizations like the world health organization and others running these giant global echo programs and, um, ministries of health, uh, adopting echo, um, you know, they, they definitely see the value and are seeing the impact on their health systems. And that, uh, means, you know, a heck of a lot. That's great. Um, can anyone listen to an echo meeting or do you have to be part of one of these communities, either a teacher or a physician or someone in healthcare? Echoes are open to all, but we do have a, a very great, we do join accreditation to provide continuing education credits free for our nurses, our doctors, our clinical social workers, community health workers. So all of the didactics are very learner specific. 
So even though you can attend, uh, some of the didactics and the case presentations are very clinically driven or teacher driven or program driven um, in order to meet those stringent joint accreditation credits. And it's great that ECHO has spread so much, but it, it sounds like you guys may be dealing with um, a large budget for just hosting all of these web services. How are you funded? Well, that's a great question. Actually, uh, one thing that's been really, really huge for us and hugely beneficial is that um, back when Zoom was actually a startup, um, we partnered with Zoom. Um, what was that? I think it was 2013. And um, we're one of their original customers. And so we were able to get a lot of support from Zoom over the years. And we have a worldwide Zoom license. So most of our work happens on Zoom. Um, and that is covered at a very low cost. But um, to answer your other question, I, we are primarily funded by philanthropic support and traditionally by philanthropic support and grants. Um, so we um, have these two different arms, you know, Andrea and her team focus primarily and, and almost wholly on New Mexico. Um, and so that's comes from support with the legislature as well as philanthropic money and, and partnerships with uh, the departments in the state, Department of Health and others. And then, um, yeah, globally, we, we have lots of philanthropic support, um, and we're very fortunate to be able to continue that work. Nice. And are either of you involved in organizations outside of Project ECHO that you feel are making a positive impact on health in New Mexico? Yeah, um, we are involved. I am uh, particularly involved and try to co uh, have collaborative partnerships with our area non-for-profits, uh, in particularly because I really hope that we're meeting community-identified gaps and needs. Um, so we we partner with various non-for-profits organizations, such as Hippocampo, which is a behavioral health center, Salud Morena, who works a lot with community health workers, Centro Savila, and others. Uh, we also encompass robust partnerships with federally qualified health centers around our state. And then, of course, organizations such as the New Mexico Perinatal Collaborative and other organizations such as the Primary Care Association, the Hospital Association, teachers, you know, um, and so in order to ensure that we're meeting the needs of New Mexicans. Yeah, and a lot of great, um, great involvement, I think, too, from, you know, a lot of the tribal uh, entities, uh, Indian Health Service, and um, and obviously our partners in state government are, are really critical with the Department of Health and HSD, and then also education, the public education department and early childhood education department. They're all um, really incredible. That's great news. Um, are there any limitations of Project ECHO? And is there anything you wish that you could accomplish but haven't quite accomplished yet? Go ahead, Andrew. I don't think it's a limitation, but for me, it's incredibly important to respond to community needs. And so always having our ears out and having developing spaces where uh, communities, especially communities of color, can speak about what, how and what are their community identified needs so we can build programs that are more conducive to our to New Mexicans. It's very important to us. And that's the future I'm hoping to go with in New Mexico. 
Yeah. And I would just say, you know, the possibilities are pretty much endless. We, we want to continue to make, you know, even more and more difference in everything we're already working in. But, you know, we truly believe that the ECHO model can be applied across lots of different diseases as well as other areas. Um, we hope that we can partner with organizations around the world to help them meet their goals. So, you know, if, if someone really wants to work in journalism, we'd love to partner with them. If someone really wants to work on, um, you know, a particular UN sustainable development goal or some other particular goal, they want to end uh, child poverty in the country. We'd love to see how we can help and provide that model to, to help them meet their goals. So um, I think the future is really big. Yeah, I, I think also as well, I really want to solidify the ECHO model mm -hmm. as part of being an integral part of in quality improvements for all kinds of systems. So if from education to healthcare to corrections, um, but so the solidification of this model in the quality improvement processes. Yeah, it sounds like you could pick almost any issue, local or international, apply the ECHO model to it, and you'd start to see some improvements. It's pretty incredible. Uh, another question I had was about uh, your model of the bi-directional movement of knowledge. So it's not just these university centers that are um, giving new knowledge to community um, health centers, but it, it moves both ways. So could you talk a little bit about that and how you ensure that people are talking to each other and listening to each other. So for my time at, when I was in the federally qualified health centers, this is something I identified and loved about ECHO and the reason that I really wanted to work here. Because what I noticed is that the facilitators in the ECHO really were really great about mediating intra-professional barriers to ensure that we were learning not only from the specialists, so yeah, like the university model, but they were really hearing the concerns of our frontline staff uh, in order to ensure that we provided more holistic care. So uh, community health workers would bring uh, in their social determinants of health concerns. And nurses would also, uh, you know, sometimes we get stuck in where we work. And I think for specialists that are not mostly in urban areas, it was very good for them to hear about rural barriers and really help mediate how we were gonna take better care of this patient that was presented. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And I really thought it was very, it encompassed a community participatory research and action approach uh, that I feel it's very significant and important when we are working with at-risk communities or historically, disenfranchised communities. So uh, I really, th this was the pivotal in my like, oh my goodness, I want to work at Echo. This is so cool. I would I would add too, I, I've heard a few really cool stories in New Mexico about how that works and, and how that works in action. I've seen it, especially with tribal communities where um, people who, you know, may have a very different um, cultural perspective on an issue from the person, you know, presenting the didactic in the session and how they make some of these practices work in a tribal setting is very different than they would maybe in a clinical setting at UNM or something. And so that's been really interesting. And then I think too, um, we see it all the time, but I was, I remember I was on a session, it was like at the height of COVID and um, it was a WHO session um, and 
they were trying to figure out how to get vaccines to people in like rural Mauritania, I think. And, um, you know, they were like, well, we are, we'd have to get this cold chain all the way to a village, you know, out on the outskirts and get it to these nomadic tribes that are going to be coming through at, at you know, kind of random intervals. And um, so there were so many different challenges in that, obviously, but like, how do you get these cold vaccines out to this rural village? How do you get the freezer there? How do you run it? How do you convince these people? And people from all over the world were like, oh, well, you know, we did this and we did this and maybe you could try this. And, you know, everyone is learning. And, uh, you know, the WHO moderators afterward were telling us, well, now we, this has helped us tremendously because now when we go and talk to someone in Ghana or in another country or in somewhere in Europe, you know, there's all these different places that have similar challenges, but they, you know, they're learning from what's happening in the field and then taking that back and applying it more broadly. I think that's, you know, that, that to me was a really cool example of how it works. Thank you both for explaining that. Um, one problem I can see with Project ECHO is the simple fact that not everyone has access to reliable, affordable internet. And uh, I know that we have a new infrastructure bill um, that's trying to increase that access in New Mexico, but is Project ECHO doing anything for those people who might not be able to log in? Yeah, that's a great question. I think this has always been a challenge for, for ECHO and you know every organization that works in the telehealth space. But um, you know, for us, it definitely became personal, you know, seeing how much of a challenge this has been for a lot of people. And actually, Dr. Rohr, our founder, um, the last few years have really um, put in a lot of effort to try to um, advocate for, you know, greater broadband access. Uh, I think in 2021, he testified uh, in the U.S. Senate to, for expanded broadband access. And last year as well, um, with the Federal Communications Commission, um, you know, we really think there needs to be greater investment and, um, you know, we need more um, access. But in the end, you know, our mission at its core is, serving the people we can as best we can. And we'll continue to do that. But, um, you know, certainly it's it's something we need. And um, there's been a lot of investment, especially the last couple of years, I think, because of COVID-19, people saw how great the need was and how valuable it was in both responding to the pandemic and, um, and then reaching people in these rural communities that they couldn't reach before and reaching rural providers. And um, so it seems like a lot of people are stepping up. And I know the state has put you know, created a broadband office to, to help coordinate some of these efforts. Um, so there's there's a lot of progress, I think, and it's a it's a good sign. I think it's also notable to say that uh, Project Echo, because of our learners that we encompass, um, we are teaching um, primary care providers to provide specialty care through very supportive systems. So uh, a patient that doesn't have the internet connection or a patient that doesn't have ability to do telemedicine can still go to their primary care office and receive the same care, just like, you know, if they would came to Albuquerque, but without having that limitation as, uh, is my cell phone going to link up uh, to the HIPAA protected link, right? So it's, a, so in those ways, I think it's very helpful um, in having that and helping people that do not have access to internet access. How do you think Project ECHO will evolve in the next 10 years? 
Well, uh, Andrew, do you want to go first? Sure. So I think for New Mexico, we are very driven by a community-informed approach. So we're hoping to evolve uh, through a community-identified gaps of care or, you know, with our teachers or with our civic programs. Um, so because we're community-driven, we have the ability to grow and expand and meet the needs. And we saw this through COVID-19. So ECHO was very instrumental in really disseminating best practices that were coming out incredibly fast. Uh, so for me, it's having that ability to move and identify community needs and really help our learners and our communities. Yeah, and I think just to basically extend what Andrea is saying is, I think both from here in New Mexico and what we're doing on the ground here and strengthening our broader health system across the state, um, you know, we want to be able to respond to those community needs around the world. You know, right now we're going through this process where we're interviewing people who are participating in ECHOs around the world and talking to them about the greatest needs in their communities to figure out where we should be focused. And, you know, a lot of what we're hearing is around um, impacting women's health because that's such a need, you know, area of high need where uh, people have been uh, marginalized and have greater challenges for a variety of different reasons and historically have been marginalized. So they have less access to care in a lot of cases or, you know, and then the pandemic has really disrupted basic care in a lot of places. People weren't getting cancer screening or they weren't getting regular vaccinations or immunizations. Um, and so, you know, we hope to help, I think, health systems, much like we are in New Mexico, like all over the world, we want to replicate that where say in Nigeria, we're helping to bring those trainings to bring those best practices to the most rural doctors and the rural teachers um, and connecting to them to that community um, so that over the long term, we'll be able to strengthen those systems, both education and health and, you know, whatever else, you know, we might be, you know, impacting, but um, really want to hear from the communities and, and the countries where we work and the states where we work. What do you need? And looking at the data really closely with our partners, like the Department of Health, you know, using that data to identify what are those big gaps. We know mental health is a big gap in New Mexico, right? And we wanna we wanna impact that significantly and um, hear from the communities how, how we can be of the greatest help to do that. If someone wanted to get involved with Project ECHO, either joining a meeting, starting a meeting or uh, donating financially, how could they go about doing that? Uh, so I would ask to please reach out to us through our website if you wanted to uh, be part of an ECHO. And we would love to assess your ideas and develop processes to see uh, will your idea fit better with an existing ECHO or if applicable to launch a new ECHO. And I'll let Ben talk about the funding part. <laughs> oh, sorry. Was Can you repeat the question about funding, Lucas? So I just asked if someone wanted to donate financially, how could they go about doing that? Definitely. Same thing. We we have a link on our website to, to donate and um, we appreciate all the support we get. So um, I hope people know that um, if they do give their, their dollars are having a tremendous impact um, both here in New Mexico or abroad, then you can, you can actually focus your giving when you, when you go onto our website and, and choose where you want to have that impact. So um yeah. That's great. You have that option to choose where the money goes. I like that. And just to wrap things up here, uh, 
I'll start with you, Ben, and then we'll go to you, Andrea. Uh, what has been your favorite part of working for Project Echo? Uh, gosh, I mean, I love, um, I love hearing about how people are, are implementing the model and especially when people are just sort of making an amazing impact really quickly. You know, I've heard people here in New Mexico, I, I just talked with a group a couple of weeks ago and they are, you know, they were turned on to the Echo model and um, they're really interested in launching programs. And they were like, you know, we want to do this. We want to do that. We want to do this in schools. We want to do it in clinics, you know, and people get so excited and the enthusiasm is so incredible. And then, you know, abroad too, you know, we have these wonderful partners in Sudan who kind of stumbled upon the Echo model during COVID-19 and then have now implemented it across the country to like completely transform their country and getting so many people activated and excited. And I just, I love to see that enthusiasm and I love to, to work with these people who are just dedicated to helping their communities. And, you know, I'm a New Mexican and I think being able to see the impact here at home and that, you know, we have something, I think everyone in our state should be proud of ECHO. You know, it's this thing that's headquartered in New Mexico. We employ New Mexicans to do this work and do it all over the world. And um, I think that's just so cool. I, I love that. Yeah, the enthusiasm is amazing. Uh, um, well, we just launched Adverse Childhood Trauma Echo, and it was so nice to see the people involved that they finally had a place where they could learn about adverse childhood trauma. Uh, one of the third leading causes of death for adolescents and children is suicide. So it was, you could see the relief of our participants and you could see uh, they want to change this in New Mexico and nationally. So that enthusiasm and um, want to learn and want to share best practices is amazing. And New Mexico, yes. <laughs> I'm so proud that it is part of New Mexico. It's funny you both mentioned enthusiasm. Um, I can tell that you're both really excited about this and gets me excited about it too. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing your knowledge with me. Thank you, Lucas. We appreciate the opportunity. It's really cool to, to be able to talk about this. You can tell we just get excited just talking. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Nuevo Healthcare Network. Subscribe to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and feel free to email comments, questions, and suggestions for future guests to Nuevo Healthcare Network at gmail.com. Till next time.